0: Hi, and welcome to another edition of No Nonsense with Pamela Wallen. This is a mini pod, a quick take on the issues that we are following. I've got to say that my inbox, my email has been filled with two things. One is the whole issue of Bill C-234 about a carbon tax break for farmers uh which the government seems intent on denying at this point so there's a lot of traffic and the other one is bill c21 which is the gun control bill and it's now before uh a committee in the senate but this has been going on for quite some time so we're going back to um a fellow that we've talked to before on this he's the chief firearms officer Named in 2020 in the province of Saskatchewan, Robert Freeberg, a man who has experience uh, in the security business and, and, um, and sports shooting and a lot of things. So welcome. Good to see you again, Robert. How are you?
1: Good. Good afternoon.
0: It's hunting season out there. I just came back from Saskatchewan and there were hunters everywhere and lots of Americans up hunting in Saskatchewan, too. Um, how is it going this season, given all the concern about gun control and Bill C-21?
1: Well, it's having a negative impact in a lot of ways. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who don't quite understand the legislation. And, and you know, people are just kind of get in some cases getting tired of it all, and they're just not hunting. But we've also had an impact, I know, on some of our friends from the states who are coming up because they're finding all these laws and so far it's getting so convoluted and confusing that they're, many of them aren't even bringing up their own firearms now. And so they've been borrowing firearms from outfitters and stuff while they're here. So we've been getting a lot of calls from people about how to do that and so forth. So there's just a lot of uncertainty. Um, and again, it's unfortunate because it is having an impact on our yeah. heritage traditions here in Saskatchewan.
0: I was standing in line with the, uh some Americans who were up, they'd come up for a five-day hunting trip. Uh, Their guns had been lost in transit, and he was on day four of going to the airport to see whether they had been found. So, so much for a five-day hunting trip, which is an additional uh, problem as well. So where are we now on this issue? Uh, The government has uh, pushed some of the more controversial things into the into the future at least with a different timeline explain what that means well you
1: know they they may have indicated they pushed it in the future but senator i mean the biggest issue is they've they had a bunch of firearms that are commonly used here in saskatchewan that they call salt style firearms and i just refuse to use that terminology i mean that's in a lot of cases propaganda and i'm you know i'm just calling you what it is and they're modern sporting firearms. they may look a little different than the one grandpa had because they're a plastic stock versus a wood stock but effectively the same tool being used for the same purpose. And again, I keep hearing this word weapons. And I was in the Senate, as you know, and I corrected many of the senators saying they're only weapons when they're used in a crime. And that can be anything from baseball bats to automobiles. So let's stop calling these firearms weapons. They're tools in Saskatchewan or they're firearms. But again, the issue is they've indicated they've pushed it off. But what they've done is they've created this committee that's supposedly going to be reviewing in the future firearms and then designating and putting a classification on them. And again, I have no idea who's gonna be on that committee. I certainly haven't been invited to participate nor is my colleague in Alberta who's the CFO. So I'm not sure who's gonna be making these decisions but all of these firearms that were taken off the list and the amendments will just come back in through an OIC. So really at the end of the day, it's um, the outcome is the same and the consultation has been zero.
0: And we still haven't dealt with the obvious concern, which any police force will tell you, that most of the guns used in the commission of a crime are guns that have been either legally or mostly illegally imported from another country. Well, there's no question. I mean, you know, there's certainly different
1: issues maybe in Toronto and Montreal where we see a lot of handguns that are coming across the border that are being smuggled. In Saskatchewan, they... They tend to be long guns that have maybe gotten stolen or uh, purchased nefariously through straw purchasing, and then they get cut down and modified into some type of prohibited firearm. But again, those aren't firearms that are being owned by licensed, registered, you know, registered and and right. approved individuals. They're they're criminals that are using these firearms, and so if they can't get them, they make them. There's pipe guns. There's other things. So at the end of the day, I mean, what we're really trying to do here in Saskatchewan is focus our efforts around safety and um responsible storage and so we're doing a huge campaign here that's going to be running over the next 3 months that's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and i just launched it yesterday at the farm progress show saying hey, hey we're responsible firearms owners lock up your firearms but you can do a lot more and get a lot more positive results doing that and working with all of our partners than you can by going out and banning firearms that you know frankly you're taking them away from the people who aren't breaking the rules not have an impact on the ones who are.
0: So one of the reasons you have this job is because the government, I think on your advice, has basically said, look, we're not going to participate in any federal confiscation program. Uh, We're going to have our own set of rules, as you say, to focus on safety and storage and licensing and making sure that, that people who are Not authorized or been prohibited because of a criminal record or bad behavior, don't have guns. You're going to focus on that as opposed to just taking away uh, firearms that might be in somebody's basement or shed. Well, and again, we are doing that right now and have been doing
1: it since we came into taking the program over. But obviously, when the legislation passes and it's federal legislation and People are forced into a situation where they have to, you know, turn over or have their firearms seized. Obviously, we can't ignore that from the provincial side. I mean, it's a federal legislation. So but what we are doing is we're saying we want to uh, be involved in the licensing of who those individuals are that are going to be seizing these firearms, how they're being seized. And most importantly, Senator, if you're seizing a firearm that you say is a weapon, well, then maybe it'd be a good idea if that firearm was tested at a ballistics lab before you chopped it up. Like, why would you take a firearm from somebody who's maybe has a criminal nefarious use of that firearm, give them money for it in a buyback program, and then turn around and chop it up and destroy the evidence? I mean, what a great system for criminals. So we want to make sure that, you know, people are actually, you know, following some sensibility
0: here. This is one of the things that I get in the emails all the time, which is exactly that point, Robert, which is if you're going to confiscate this gun and it's being held or used by a criminal, you might want to take some fi- fingerprints off it.
1: Yeah, and that's why the province of Saskatchewan has has started down the road of building our own provincial ballistics lab, because right now it's 18 months to two years to even get a firearm into, a, into Ottawa to get it tested so I mean at the end of the day a uh, person's probably served their sentence and then they come out and find out the firearm that they had was actually involved maybe in something like a, a murder or homicide so again we're, we we want to get that you know reduced and so again we want to do things that are going to affect the criminals and help our policing agencies and, and again I don't want police agencies nor does our government out there seizing guns from law-abiding gun owners when they don't have enough bandwidth
0: to seize them from criminals yeah, not too much luck there. Um, it's interesting because you do, you do find, and and because it is hunting season, everybody's talking about this again, is that, you know, it's the communities and the, the gun owners and the hunters that are actually the ones that are focused on the education programs and the training programs. Even my nieces and nephews are out taking firearms programs, e- even though they didn't get drawn for a license. They're just or for a tag, for hunting, they, they just want to feel familiar with a gun. How does it work? Uh, how do you clean it? How do you store it? How do you put it away? Because it's part of our life in rural communities across this country.
1: Well, the thing that I find frustrating, Senator, is that the very people we're targeting, and pardon the you know, pun, but with this legislation, is the very people who are delivering the safety training and the heritage and, you know, passing on, the you know, the best practices to others. And so now we're turning on to taking people who are our allies, it would be the first person to call the police if they saw something illegal with a firearm or somebody trying to buy a firearm illegally or doesn't, you know, using a firearm properly. But not only that, but they're also training, you know, young people, new Canadians, others, in how to use these firearms. And so now we're, we're penalizing these very people because, you know, our federal government, we don't they don't have a delivery mechanism for teaching farm safety. They rely on, you know, the CFOs in the, in the provinces to set up these folks who in many cases are volunteers who are delivering this course at, at a nominal price. And at the end of the day, I, I don't know why we wouldn't want to be talking to those people when they're the ones that are, you know, front and center with the safety programs across this country.
0: Yeah, it's one of those strange issues, again, where it's not really, I mean, Ottawa can have the jurisdiction on the big picture. They can have legislation, but they're not the ones trying to deal with it on the ground, either implement it or, or, or police it uh, in that sense.
1: Well, in CFO offices across Canada, I mean, we're front and centre in revoking and refusing licenses. And I have to tell you, I'm very proud of our record on that. The people that shouldn't have a gun in Saskatchewan don't have one. And we're very diligent and and be working hard on it. But across Canada, my colleagues, I mean, many of these firearms offices are, are hugely underfunded. And yet they're front and center and actually going out and enforcing all of these regulations. So we brought that up with the senators. We're going, we can pile on more laws and more legislation, but where's the funding to actually yeah. do the frontline work to make sure that people who do have mental health issues are, in fact, not having access to firearms? And we can bring in red flag laws and so forth and yeah. say there's a 24-hour window, but who's going out to get those farms? Who's yeah. actually enforcing them?
0: I wanted to ask about that because I'm getting a lot of email on the on the red flag provision because as I understand it, please correct me, but I could call the local RCMP detachment and say, look, you know, my husband, my ex-husband, my brother, um, he's got a gun and he shouldn't have one because I... I you know, I think he's a bit crazy, or he said something weird to me the other day, um, and and that that can trigger a whole process when it may be a fight about something else. I I don't want to diminish it because I think this is important that we do have some kind of red flag system, but I'm getting these mixed messages about it. Well, we have it now, Senator.
1: We have 117 orders where police can, if they think of someone's a danger to themselves or others, with a, they can go in with the 117 and and Sees those firearms, and then, or if they're at a domestic, and uh, we get a, a FIP, which you know, which is basically a heads up that this person's a firearms owner and they've had a altercation with police. I mean, those come into us immediately, and then we're following up and we're investigating. And if it's someone that's trying to malign someone because they're upset about their child support payment or whatever, and they're trying to, you know, we, we get to the bottom of that to find out what's real and what isn't real. But um, at the end of the day, that's happening now. But again, I mean, we've started off with uh, seven firearms officers. We're going to 14. The province of Saskatchewan has invested over $8 million in a program that we were offered $1.2 million to run the program from the federal government. We didn't take that offer. We still haven't received any funding from the federal government whatsoever. And the provincial government's, you know, into this for $8 million, and we still feel that we're going to be looking at even some further expansion. But Again, we're getting results because we've been putting money, effort, and people into which, and using the existing laws that we have, and we've been highly effective. So, you know, there's some things in in C-21 around uh, uh, 3D printed guns and so forth. But I got to tell you, again, I want to bring it to your viewers' attention. Like, when the firearms registration system changed about 20 years ago, there's 10,000 handguns in Saskatchewan that fell off the radar that went from the old system to the new system that are, you know, there's no idea where they are. And, and there was nothing done to follow up on that. So at the end of the day, you know, we're going to see the same thing with this handgun ban. I mean, people are going to pass on their state's going to have these firearms. There isn't an easier legitimate way for them to pass them on to their heirs. And so they're just going to be sitting on them for a period of time, trying to figure out what to do with them. And eventually they just get, they disappear. And then Try to find them. The original owners passed away. You know, you're and then looking you lose at lose control things. of how many and where they are. Absolutely. So why not let the CFOs transfer them to someone who has a license that has been vetted? We know where they are. They have to be stored in a safe. And if there's any issues with that individual, we're going to take them away. I mean, I, I don't understand how just passing a law and saying, well, now your property that's worth thousands of dollars or your state that's worth in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars because of your collector and all of a sudden your estates have no value because these firearms can't be transferred to anyone. I, I don't understand how you're going to get compliance on that and how it's actually going to have any effect on on criminals, but you're going to have more guns going underground. You yeah. Nobody's going to have to make a 3D gun because there'll be access to ones that they can buy. You know, They're already built. So again...
0: Well, and and as you and I have discussed before, that the other thing that Ottawa uh, needs to do, in addition to funding and thinking through some of the implications of this, is that when it comes to people that commit crimes, they need to take responsibility for their actions, and we need to ensure that the justice and legal systems see that they do. And oh, when- there's no question; we
1: don't. We have to make sure these firearms charges are sticking and not getting you know, passed over because a person wants to admit to the drug charge that maybe started the original process, so.
0: And, and not letting, like, the bail reform laws and those kinds of changes that are there. It's all part of a larger package.
1: Well, there's no question. And, I mean, everyone, including our office, wants to make sure that, you know, illegal use or or people that have uh, mental health issues and so forth don't have firearms. Right. But, again, there's there's some very effective ways to do that. And you've got some people across the country, I think, in CFO offices, policing agencies, and other partners that can certainly bring forth some suggestions, I think, to make the system better. But that's not happened. I mean, this C21 and others have come out for the most part in a vacuum.
0: Great to talk to you. We're going to connect after this bill goes through all the processes in the Senate and see if there's any amendments and how it changes, and then we'll get your final take on that, Robert.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time and your interest in this. And uh, yeah, look, no, look, we
0: we appreciate your insights because you stay on top of it.
1: Well, I try to. Thanks for your time, <laughs> time and uh, opportunity to speak with you today
0: okay that's it for this edition of no nonsense with pamela wallon chief firearms officer from the province of saskatchewan robert freeberg talking about bill c 21 so we'll be back when uh, that becomes actual law and figure out what the last stages are thanks for joining us for this mini pod a quick take on uh, where we are on the issues of the day we'll see you again soon